and welcome to the Faith Church Podcast channel. We exist to reach people and connect them to God and others. If you would like more information about Faith Church or would like to schedule a visit sometime, visit our website at www.igotofaith.com. We can only do what we do because of the generosity of our Faith Church family. If you would like to contribute to our ministry, you can do so by visiting our website at www.igotofaith.com and hit the giving tab. Or you can text the amount of your contribution to 256-483-4991. Both of these options will send you to a safe and secure server. Your giving is much appreciated. Now, get ready as our lead pastor, Steve Husky, continues with part two of his series, Don't Be That Guy. Good morning, Faith Church. How are you guys doing today? Y'all are very somber today. I need everybody in this place for like the next 10 seconds. If you are thankful for God who loved you and who saved you, can we just lose our mind for about 10 seconds? Come on, everybody. Come on, y'all. Get some adrenaline moving for the kingdom. Woo! Yeah, that's what I like. So, hey, listen, man, Easter is coming. If you don't know it, Easter is one of the biggest days of the year because a lot of people who don't normally go to church go to church on Easter, which means... It's a great opportunity for us as the church, the global church, and for us, faith church, the local church, to capitalize on people coming in the doors, for us to love them, for us to love on their kids, for us to minister to them, for them to have a life-changing experience that will move them from being a C&E person, a Christmas and Easter person, to possibly being a follower of Christ. So what I want you to do is a couple things. Number one is be praying about who it is that God would have you bring. All of us know people that are not in church, that don't have a relationship with the Lord, that are maybe searching. I want to encourage everyone in this room, if you're watching online and you normally are here live, to bring somebody with you. Don't come empty-handed. Invite some people. We're going to make that possible through social media. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to put some hand invites out. Also, on Easter Sunday, that's where we're going to open up our brand-new remodel. Man, I'm excited about that happening. Yeah, it's awesome. We've had some peaks back there, and it's coming together great thankful for uh, Johnson Contracting, and we've got some people that are part of our church that are part of those outfits that are really doing a beautiful job. It's going to open some space up so we can hang out, have a cup of coffee, and if you don't want to hang out, it'll make it easier to get out. So whatever you want to do, get out or hang out, we're here to help you do that. So it's going to be a great weekend, but again, starting that weekend, we're going to go to three services. We're going to continue to grow and reach people. I know you look around and you say, well, there's room in this third service. Our, our first service is always our first service. Sometimes it runs at 100% plus capacity. It's generally around 90%. So we have to make room because that's the primary. Our second service is growing, but our first is our primary. So help us out. Get the word out. We'll announce the new service times starting next week. All right. All right. Everybody shout, don't be that guy. So this is a new series we started last week that's just talking about some things that we see in culture. This is a... This is something, kind of a catchphrase of the day, that when someone does something stupid, someone does something that just, you know, you shouldn't do, it's not socially acceptable, it's not cool, it's not whatever, it doesn't fit the social norm, someone will say, hey, don't be that guy, don't be that guy. We've seen some videos kind of making a joke of that. What we're doing is we're looking at some biblical characters, we're looking at some things that people did in Scripture, saying, hey, we don't want to be that guy. So we started this series last week, we're going to continue today. But let me talk about this, because I've talked about it for a lot. There's several things, several themes that if you're a part of Faith Church, you know that come up in my preaching. And one is my great love and affection for Krispy Kreme donuts. And since I've not talked about them in a long time, I felt like it was just, it was just time. Now, I don't know about you guys, but does anybody here love some Krispy Kreme donuts? Okay, so 
I can remember, I can remember when my love affair started. It was only yesterday we met. Back, I was 15 years old or so around there. I was in high school. I never had a Krispy Kreme donut. And our high school started doing these fundraisers. We do it two or three times a year where you would get a dozen donuts for $5. And so my first one, someone handed me this thing. And I thought, what is this round piece of soft deliciousness? And I found out it was a Krispy Kreme donut. And every time we had a fundraiser, I had a box of donuts. Changed my life forever. I mean, if you don't, if you never had one, I don't know where you've been. If you have one and you don't like them, something's wrong with your tongue. You need to go see a doctor quick. And the rest of us who are all about it, we know these things are good. So not just at 15 when I first got involved. It's an involvement. I'm in, I'm in deep with the Krispy Kreme donut. But it was around age 25, the first time I was ever actually at a store that had the red light. Y'all know the red light? When the red light, the red light's when you're driving by. And if the red light is on, what it means is, is that there are donuts <laughs> coming fresh off the assembly line, still hot. Mel- I mean, you can get like you can get a whole one in your mouth, right? Off the- like I could just like on the assembly line, just like <laughs> just let them fall in because they're just that good. I mean, I'm telling you, my, my mom, I grew up, my mom's a great cook. She's a home cook kind of mom. My wife is a great cook. I've known lots of great cooks. I'm just telling you, there is nobody that I know that's ever made anything as good as a Krispy Kreme donut. That's just a fact. Does anybody else here like some Krispy Kreme donuts? Anybody here want one? We got some people. Come on, y'all bring them down here. Put a hand up if you want a donut. I'm going to put one in your hand real quick. Fitting music. I mean, donuts just make you happy. Y'all working too hard for a donation. No donuts for me. Hey, right up here. Hannah, Hannah had her hand raised. Get her one. So let me, let me ask you a question. Yeah, I mean, I'm mean, all, all about the donut. Here, here's the crazy thing about donuts, especially Krispy Kreme donuts, is you can have a donut at any time. You don't have to be hungry to eat a donut. Isn't that right? You know, if I, you, know you offer somebody a donut, every now and then someone will say, no thanks, I'm not hungry. You say, what does that have to do with it? Because you can eat a donut. You can have just finished breakfast and have a donut. You can have just finished Thanksgiving dinner, and there's still room for a donut. Right? Because there, there's something going on the inside of us, and this is what I want to talk about today, is all of us in this room, we have an appetite, an appetite. Now, I say an appetite, here's, here's kind of the dig, is I'm not just talking about how your stomach neurologically communicates with your brain and vice versa to tell your body that it needs nutrients. To me, kind of that, that appetite is much more than physical, it really is soul. There's something on the inside of us, and here's how I know it's deeper than a physical, physiological thing, and here's why. is because some of us in this room, including me, I have been known to be an emotional eater. Anybody track with me? Which means you're not really hungry, you just had a bad day, and you're going to soothe the pain away with some Krispy Kreme donuts. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, things didn't go right, 
You didn't get the business deal. You had a falling out. You had an argument with your spouse. Your kids aren't living right, whatever, and you're going to make it better by eating something because we're emotional eaters. Some of us in this room are bored eaters, which, again, it means there's like your body doesn't need nutrients. You're not really hungry. You're just kind of bored. So you're sitting there watching TV, and you go in and get something to eat, and then you eat it, and you think, I shouldn't have ate what I just ate, but I wonder what else there is to eat because you're still bored. So I want you to know this. Listen, listen, listen. This is so big. This is such a powerful principle that we all have this appetite. And again, that appetite is not just physical. It's, it's soul. It's something deeper than, than just kind of physical touch. And food is not the only appetite that you have and that I have. In fact, there are lots of different appetites that we have. Food is one. And again, it's deeper than physical. Here's a couple of the appetites that I think all of us in this room have. Food, we just talked about. Sex. Really? That's, that's all we got. Anybody here excited about some sex? Thank you. Thank you. I, Chad, I, I'm not sure if that was really supportive or really awkward, but thanks. <laughs> success. Did you know that you have an appetite for success? Nobody starts a business. Nobody goes on a venture. Nobody goes on a diet plan. Nobody starts a new job hoping they fail. Everybody wants success. We desire success. We crave success. We're hungry for success. Money. You have an appetite for money. That's why you get up in the morning. Nobody, well, some people do, but the majority of people, we don't like to get up real early in the morning and rush to a job. Do you know why we do it? Because there is a, an appetite on the inside of us for money. Respect. Winning. Who wants to be on the losing team? I don't. <laughs> you know, everybody, everybody's, been, everybody's been in the yard, and maybe you're the kid that got picked last on the wall. It's okay. Someone has to be picked last. But everybody's like, gosh, I hope I get on the winning team. Please pick me, pick me, because everybody wants to be a winner. No one walks on the baseball diamond. No one goes onto the gridiron. Nobody plays a game hoping they lose. I'm just telling you, there is an appetite on, on the inside of every one of us for winning. We hunger love, hunger for love. We want love. We pursue love. We're open to love. Acceptance. Things. Are y'all hearing me? Some of you have a desire and a passion and a hunger and an appetite for things. And here's the crazy thing. You'll go into a store and get a thing that you didn't go into the store to get. You only got the thing because you discovered the thing existed when you went to the store and all of a sudden appetite. So it's not like, hey, I need that thing. You didn't even know about the thing but now you got the thing. You might have to play that back a couple times when you get home tonight and track that. Relationships. So I want you all to know this. So listen, besides just food, all of us in this room, everybody in this room, we have appetites. We have cravings. We have desires. We have a hunger for certain things. And here's where I want to talk about this because this is, this is so big, is I want to talk about these appetites. I want to talk about these hungers because here's why is the appetites that you have and the appetites that I have, if we are not careful, they will keep us from our destiny. They'll keep us from getting to the hope that we have on the inside of us. If we are not careful, our appetites will hold us back from reaching our dreams. Everybody do this. Everybody close your eyes. Everybody in this room, just humor me. Now, there's two or three of you, and you don't have your eyes closed, and you're looking around. Close your eyes. I want everybody in this room, I'm going to give you about 15 seconds. I want you to think about, I want you to picture where you see yourself in five years. I want you to picture yourself. If you're in high school, some of you picture yourself in college. 
Some of you are in college, you picture yourself in a career. Some of you who are getting out of college, you picture yourself getting married, getting in a relationship, finding that special someone. Some of you picture yourself having children. You picture yourself purchasing your first house. You picture yourself in a new career. You picture yourself in success. You picture yourself, right, retiring and getting that, getting that final place where, man, you're financially set up. You're okay. You're strong. You can finally walk away from that job. Everyone in this room wants you to think about where do you see yourself five years from now? And everybody look at me. Whether you control your appetites or your appetite controls you will determine if you can reach that place you just imagined. Because every one of us in this room, we have ad- appetites, and those appetites, because we gave into the craving, because we gave into the desire, because we gave into that appetite, it hijacked the hope that was on the inside of us. It kept us from getting to the place we wanted to. Let me tell you this three things I want you to know about appetites. Number one, that appetites were created by God but hijacked by sin. Think about it. Every appetite that you have, all the ones we just talked about came from God. The Bible tells us that God created man and he put him in the midst of a perfect creation, in the midst of a perfect garden. He told man, right, you can eat of the fruit of any tree. God gave him a a food appetite. He said, it's not good for man to be alone. I'll make a helpmate. He gave him a relationship appetite, gave him a relationship with God. He said, listen, I want you to till the work of the ground. He gave him an appetite for success in business and ventures, right? Every appetite. He said, I want you to, I want you to, let's get it on with Eve. I want you to populate the earth. Gave an appetite for sex. Every appetite you have, every craving that I have, it came from God. But here's the thing is, it was hijacked by sin. Which means the craving we had, while it started out okay, sin, that sin nature inside of us, that thing that really keeps us from walking true north, it takes those, those cravings and hijacks them, and we start expressing those appetites in very unhealthy ways. Like, let me just give you just a couple real quick examples, right? So, again, you think about somebody who is a white-collar criminal. They had an appetite for success, but they felt like they had to fudge bottom lines. They had to cheat on contracts. They had to steal from the company. So even though they had a, a, a healthy appetite for money or success, their sin hijacked it. And all of a sudden, instead of them being a successful business person or businesswoman or businessman, now they're sitting in prison. People that are struggling with sex addictions, people who've slept with prostitutes, people who have child pornography issues, whatever twisted way it is, it started off with a God-given desire, a God-given appetite for sex that, hi- that, that sin has hijacked it and twisted that appetite. Let's just talk sports because we're a sports town, right? The New England Patriots who just won the Super Bowl recently, right? Think about it. Think about all the gates. We got deflate gate. We got spy gate. Do you know why? Because they have an appetite to win, but they got to cheat to do it. I'll leave that right there. (laughs) Number two thing you need to know about appetites is appetites, come on, say this, appetites are never satisfied. The appetite you have for sex, like you don't have sex once, like everybody remembers when you're whatever age and you're like, I can't wait, I can't wait. Like you don't do it on your honeymoon and be like, check it off, done, boom. Like you're like, when can we do that again? Nobody eats a big meal. Nobody's going to leave here for lunch and go eat a meal and then say, okay, I'm good. I don't need to eat anymore. Nobody has success and doesn't want any more success. Nobody gets a paycheck and is comfortable with the amount of money. No matter how much you feed an appetite, it has a bottomless pit stomach. 
So while you can temporarily satisfy an appetite, you can never finally satisfy an appetite. And number three, appetites demand immediate fulfillment. Like when you have an appetite, it doesn't say, I hope you can get, get around to satisfy me later, right? When you're hungry, you're hungry right now. You don't think, well, I hope I can eat eventually. Me, I'm, I get kind of mean. I get a little bit angry when I'm hungry. Anybody else get miserable? And if I'm miserable, I'm making people around me miserable. Till I get some food, we're all going to be unhappy, right? Because appetites, those cravings, those desires, those things that, right, that, that rise up on the inside of us, it started with God, sin has hijacked it. It's always there. It's always demanding, and it's never satisfied. And when it wants fulfilled, it wants fulfilled right now. And so here's what I want you to know as we talk about this today is whatever your appetite is, and there's probably some of you in this room that you have, while all of us have very similar appetites, you have appetites that I don't have, and I have appetites that you don't have. And if you don't learn to control your appetites, again, your appetites will keep you from your dream. It'll keep you from where you want to go. Because when I, when I tell you to think about the dreams and where you want to be five years from now, how you see yourself succeeding, how you see yourself winning, how you see yourself kind of walking into something bigger than where you are right now. I believe with all of my heart that all of the things that you're dreaming about and preparing for and working hard to achieve, that you're studying hard in school, that you're working hard on a relationship, that you're investing endless hours in a business, whether you're a doctor or a lawyer or blue collar, it doesn't matter. You are doing all that because you're trying to get to the thing that's on, in your heart. But I want you to know today that if you allow your appetites to control you rather than you controlling your appetites, listen to me, it will keep you from your future. Never let your hunger hijack your hope. Everybody say that. Never let your hunger hijack your hope. Here's what the Bible says. One of the wisest men who ever lived, this is what he had to say about this topic. Solomon said this. He said, a person without self-control, a person who allows their appetites, a person who allows their cravings to drive their decisions, a person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. Let me think about it. Now, again, we don't really see this a lot today, but, you know, again, we've talked about this, that in ancient times, the way cities were kept safe is they had walls built around them. And if you didn't have those walls, then, then marauders could come at any time. Think about it in today's society. It would be like a bank that has no bank security, no bank vault, no security guard, no cameras, no alarms. Well, how long do you think that money would be safe in a building if it had no security? That money would be gone quick. And this is what the Bible's saying. The Bible's saying, if you don't control your appetites, if you don't get, if you don't get a grasp on the, on the passions, on the hungers that all of us have, that it will rob you. It will pillage your future. It will rob your hope. It'll destroy your dreams because that's exactly what's happened. Let me just give you a couple of real great examples. Has anybody here noticed, and it's, it's, it's kind of odd because it seems like it's just spun out of control. All of these teachers that are showing up in the news the last several years that are sleeping with their students, like I'm sure that's happened for years and probably has not really been on the radar as much. I don't know why this is happening, but I would imagine most of those teachers were good people that seen themselves going to college, getting a degree, getting a job, helping students, investing in the next generation. How did they get from being a teacher helping students to sleeping and having sex with the students they were teaching? Do you know how? Because they had an appetite for either sex or respect 
or control or something that was healthy, but sin hijacked that, and next thing you know, they're sleeping with a student. I know pastors that are no longer in their pulpit, that no longer have churches. God loves them. God called them to ministry, but they're no longer in the ministry. Do you know why? They never, they never seen themselves where they are today. They seen themselves pastoring successful, thriving churches, but they are no longer in their pulpit. Do you know why? Because a hunger hijacked their hope. Because they allowed a passion. They allowed an addiction. They allowed an issue in their life to spiral out of control. How many of you in this room, your life has been touched by addiction? You've lost something because of addiction. Or maybe not firsthand, maybe you're related to somebody who's brought addiction into your home or into your family. Some of you, like, you didn't grow up with a dad in the house or you didn't grow up with a mom in the house because of addiction. What happened was their appetite spun out of control. So, like, we just got to keep coming back. Guys, all of us have appetites. You have a craving and I have a craving. You have passions and I have passions. But if we don't learn to control those things that drive us, they will drive us into a ditch. And so today, for a few minutes, I want to look at a story. It's one of the probably most famous stories that really deal with this topic. Many of you have been in church for a while, maybe have heard of it. It's a story of two brothers and sibling rivalry. These two guys by the name of Jacob and Esau. Now, probably we should say Esau and Jacob because Esau and Jacob, they were twins. But Esau came out of the womb just a few... I was getting ready to do a hand mode. That was it right there. <laughs> Esau came out of the womb... Uh, just a few moments before, and here's the crazy thing is the Bible says Jacob had a, had a handle on his older brother's ankle. Like they were racing for first place out of the womb, and Esau won. And when you get the picture in the Bible in Genesis 24 and 25, it starts to tell us about these two characters, Esau, Esau and Jacob, these two brothers. It tells us that Esau, he was a man's man. Like, he was the guy out in the woods. He was the guy that, like, he was the guy with the, with the concealed carry permit. He was the guy out hunting. He had a hairy chest, a beard, big guy. He was a, he was a daddy's boy. But then there was Jacob. Jacob was a mom's boy. Now, I'm not going to ask, but some people ask me, am I mama's boy or my daddy's boy? I'm whoever's going to help me get ahead the quickest. Come on, somebody. <laughs> so Jacob, he's in the kitchen. He's kind of cooking. So Jacob's a mama's boy in the kitchen. Esau is a daddy's boy in the woods. And here's where the story picks up. Check this out. I want you to see this as the story unfolds about appetites. It says, one day when Jacob was cooking some stew, right, because Jacob's a mama's boy in the kitchen, Esau arrived home from the wilderness because he's a daddy's boy that hangs out outside. He came home exhausted and hungry because that's what happens, right? I mean, it's kind of weird. If you go out in the wilderness, you go out in fresh air, have you ever noticed like you're just tired and hungry from being outside? Like you don't have to do a lot. It's just being out fresh nature. We went out yesterday and I just have to celebrate Faith Church. Yesterday, Florence um, had a, a, a cleanup day, citywide cleanup day, and we had a huge turnout. Just want to say thank you. If you showed up yesterday, uh, man, we were able to make a dent and clean up some streets. So man, thank you guys so much. One of our core values here at Faith Church is serve, and so we showed up and served our city yesterday. But what was funny was after, um, after cleaning up for several hours on the streets, I had a counseling appointment for a couple in our church, and I got to give them some love. Brody Atkins, one of our, uh, he's actually on our worship team um, and actually on our staff here, is getting ready next Saturday. Him and Johnny Baker are going to tie the knot and get married. And we show them some love. Right over here is the lovebirds. Yeah. So we were sitting down, and I don't know if you heard this, but I shared this first service and too late. I forgot to ask for permission. But anyway, so 
Now you know what my wife goes through. So we're sitting there, and like I was just really hungry. I didn't get to eat much in the morning. And so my stomach is growling, but I think, can anybody else hear this, or is it just me? Anybody here have your stomach growl, and you wonder, is it as loud as it feels? But they're not really making any faces, and it's making a lot of noise. And then finally I hear this, and I was like, was that me or was that you? And I'm looking at Brody, and Johnny's like, it was me. And then my stomach starts answering. It was like two animals talking to each other. Like we're doing counseling, and our stomachs are doing counseling. And it's okay because, watch, all of us have, all of us have these appetites, and it's okay to get hungry. So this guy's been out in the woods. He's been hunting. He comes home, he's hungry, but then watch. Esau said to Jacob, I'm starved. Notice the progression of the appetite. He went from just being hungry to being starved because this is how appetites start to take over. When an appetite for success, when an appetite for sex, when an appetite for fulfillment, when an appetite for money, when an appetite for food, whatever it is, all of a sudden it will start getting louder and louder and louder and feel like like you have no choice but to give in. Give me some of that red stew. Next verse. Jacob, the brother who cooked the red stew, says, all right, Jacob replied, but. Everybody shout that word. But trade me your rights as a firstborn son. Now, this is so huge because this is where the sibling rivalry kicks in. So Jacob, the younger brother, recognizes that Esau, the older brother, he's the firstborn. We're going to see what that means in a minute. So he wants to make a trade. Hey, I'm not just going to give you stew for free because siblings never get along like that. Like my daughters will do anything in the world for strangers, but they'll kill each other if they wear each other's clothes without permission. I mean, it's weird. And so Jacob sees an opportunity to get the upper hand on his brother Esau and he says this, he says, hey, I'll give you some of my red stew, but listen to this. In order to get your appetite fulfilled, it's always going to cost you something. If you pursue success bad enough in your own way, in your own time, it'll cost you something. If you pursue relationships, if you pursue addiction, if you pursue winning, if you pursue money, if you, whatever it is, if you pursue it in your own way, in your own time, it will always cost you something. And here's, Je- here's Esau, he's like, I'm starving, like, give me some, I gotta have it. Okay, it's gonna cost you something. I'm just gonna tell you, he, says, he puts himself in a really bad spot because you never wanna make a bad decision right here. Everybody shout halt. Never wanna make a bad decision, bring this up. If you're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. If you make a bad decision and this, this is how you feel, or you make a decision, it'll be a bad decision. If you go into the grocery store hungry for a loaf of bread and a gallon of milk, you will come home with a gallon of sweet tea and a box of Little Debbie's. It's a fact. It happens to me all the time. So he goes in, he's hungry, and he's getting ready to make this choice. Like, okay, bowl of stew for my birthright. What? Let me tell you what a birthright is. Let me tell you what a birthright is, because this is, this is big. Like, this doesn't mean anything to us, but the birthright in this culture is big. The birthright means this. The birthright was if you're the oldest son, not the oldest daughter, in this culture, in a Jewish culture, in ancient culture, if you were the firstborn son, you had a lot of special privilege and special rights. Here's just a couple of them real quick. First of all, you were the father's favorite. It didn't matter if he had how many daughters he had. It didn't matter how many sons he had. If you were the firstborn son, you were automatically dad's favorite. That's big. Number two, they got the father's best. Specifically, they got a double portion of the inheritance. When dad died, girls got nothing. All the other brothers, except the oldest brother, they divided up the inheritance, and the oldest brother got a double portion. So he got twice as much as anybody else. 
just by being the oldest brother. Right here, when the dad died, they became the judge and the priest of the family. The judge, which means if anything went down, if there was family division, if there was a family fight, the older brother was the guy who got to sort it out. Like, I think I would like that responsibility. I could do that well. Because I go to my family gatherings at the time, and I think if everyone would just listen to me, I can fix this. Right? He had that right. Also, he was the guy that set the spiritual tone of his house, of his household and his family. This last thing right here, the oldest son, he got to do business. He got to speak on behalf of his father. He could do business transactions. So this was a place of position. This was a place of authority. It was a place of wealth. And he traded it for a bowl of stew. Let me just tell you why this is so important right here. Let me tell you why I, 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 I kind of put this out. Because do you know the Bible says in the book of Hebrews that we're the church of the firstborn? You say, what does that mean? It means when you become a child of God and I become a child of God, it means all of a sudden we get all of these spiritual rights. Do you know when, the, when you get saved, the Bible says you don't become a daughter of God. When you get saved, you become a son of God. And that's important. Ladies, embrace your sonship. And when you get saved, guys, and I get saved, you know that we become the bride of Christ, and that might make you uncomfortable, but I want you to embrace your brideship because those are terms of authority and intimacy. And I want you to know when the Bible says that we're the church of the firstborn, what God is saying is, I love everybody, but my children are my favorite. And I love everybody, but listen, I want you to know God's saying, but my children get an inheritance for me because that's what Ephesians chapter 2 says, that we have an inheritance in Christ. I'm glad you all are excited. We become judges and priests in our relationship with God. I don't have to go to a man in a long flowing black robe with a funny white collar and a goofy hat. I can go directly to God through Christ. I am a priest. That's who the Bible says. And I transact business, king the business on behalf of the Father. I can pray for people. I can love for people. I can extend grace. I can extend love. I can be light in this world. I can bring God's kingdom in heaven right here on earth because as a child of God, I can transact business. So here what I want you to know is all of you in this room, the dreams you have, the aspirations you have, the hopes you have, every one of us, there are appetites in you trying to rob you from your family, rob you from your future, rob you from your potential. And if you don't learn how to control them, ultimately what you're going to give up is it's going to hijack your hope from really being the person God has called you and created you to be. And so we have to find a way. We have to find a way to make sure we control our appetites and our appetites don't control us. So watch this. Keep going in the story. So here's the deal, right? Esau, he's hungry, comes in. Jacob's making some stew. He says, hey, I'm hungry. Then he goes, I'm starved. Jacob says, I'll give you some stew, but if you trade me your birthright, listen to the response. Look, I'm dying of starvation. Sounds like my 13-year-old son, like he is a bottomless pit. Doesn't matter how much food you put in it, like he always wants more. I'm dying. Wait, I just seen you walk in here on your own two feet. He went from being hungry to being starved. To starved. I'm starving to death. What good is my birthright to me now? What he's saying is, all I care about is the appetite of the moment. Like, I, I don't even care about my birthright. Like, all I care about is I'm so hungry. I, like, I just got to satisfy this appetite. Here's a question. Who would sell their birthright for a bowl of stew? 
who in their right mind would sell such an incredible future for such an insignificant moment? Who would do that? I know who would do it. You would do it. And I would do it. Because there have been times in your life that you have given up part of who you are and part of your future and part of your hope for just a moment of significance, a moment of relationship, a moment of sex, a moment of chasing money, a moment of trying to pursue success. Who, who would give up something like that? People like me, people like Esau. Because all of us run the risk of wanting our appetite fulfilled, wanting to be, success, wanting to be successful, wanting to be accepted, that we'll make really bad decisions to try to fulfill our appetite. But when you make bad decisions in order to fulfill your appetite, you are forfeiting your future. And this is exactly what he's doing is he says, I can't, I don't even see the value. I don't even see the purpose of this right now. And the Bible goes on, he says this right here. Watch this last verse, verse 33 says, but Jacob said, first you must swear that your birthright is mine. So Esau swore an oath, thereby selling all his rights as the firstborn to his brother Jacob. What a crazy switch. Last verse. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and lentil stew. Esau ate the meal, then got up and left. So he showed contempt for his rights as the firstborn. I wonder if that bowl of stew was worth it. Like how good could that bowl of stew have possibly been? Could I like on a totally less significant, I'm joking about donuts, but man, like they really are my downfall. Like it's crazy. I, like I talk about them and then I, I appreciate your love for me. Y'all will bring me donuts. I don't need any donuts because when you bring them, I eat them. Someone had donuts here the other day. I told my staff, I said, for real, I don't care what, you throw them away, eat them, hide them, just put them where I don't know where they are because if they're within reach of me, I will eat them. Someone brought donuts home to our house the other day. I've not had a donut in a long time. I say a long time, I mean several months, which is a long time for me. And this box sat on the, sat on the counter for like a day. I was like, I don't need one of those. I'm not gonna eat one of those. I'm not gonna touch them. I don't, and I just walked by them and just, I'm not, you, you don't control me. And then the next day, the box was still on the counter. So I thought, so I reached over and grabbed it. And I picked it up and there was, I could just tell by the weight of the box, there was a couple still in there. I was like, well, it must be because the Lord wanted me to have one. That's why. And I opened it, it's true. I didn't tell my wife or whoever did this to me, but I opened it up and someone had eaten all the donuts and stuck an apple in there. Did you do that? Who did it? I was like, Jinkies. But here's the thing, it's for real. On a, on a totally less significant note, like really, man, my wife and I, we're killing ourselves trying to work out and eat right. I'm gonna hijack trying to be healthy and be in better shape for a, for a moment of a donut because it happens. Come on, ladies. Moment on the lips, <laughs> lifetime on the hips. And we ain't joke about weight. We're talking about your future. I'm talking about your marriage. I'm talking about your home. I'm talking about the hope that you have in Christ. I'm talking about really where you see yourself five years from now because the enemy is looking to hijack your hope and he will do it through your hunger. And if a guy like Esau will sell his birthright for a bowl of stew, what will you sell your birthright for? Because people are doing it all the time. Pastors are doing it and teachers are doing it and everyday people are doing it all the time. 
Here's what the Bible says. Here's what the New Testament had to say about this guy Esau. In the book of Hebrews, listen to this verse. It's this challenge that we don't want to be like him. So the Bible says, lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau. Don't be like Esau because he was a fornicator and he was a profane person who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. It's almost looking like, like, can you believe what this guy did? Don't be like him. And then it uses these two words. He was a fornicator and a profane person, which seems odd because his issue wasn't fornication. If you don't know what fornication is, let me tell you what fornication is because it's important because it's, it's, it's used here. Anytime you have sex with somebody out of the context of one man and one woman in the context of the covenant of marriage for life, it's sexual sin. So if it's masturbation, fornication, adultery, bestiality, orgies, or anything else in between, it's outside of the covenant between one man and one woman in the context of marriage for life. It's considered sexual sin. Here the Bible says that Esau was a fornicator. So a fornicator is somebody who has sex before they're married. You say, what does that have to do with this guy eating food? Here's why I believe the Bible called him, the writer of Hebrews called him a fornicator, is because he wasn't willing to wait for marriage. Like he just had it. That's what a fornicator does. They can't wait for the covenant of marriage. Like I got to have sex now. And there's some people maybe in this room and maybe you're living with somebody or maybe you're sleeping with somebody. And I'm just telling you like, stop. Because every time you sleep with somebody, you give part of your, you're like giving the gift that should only go to the person you're going to spend your life with. You're giving it away. And you're taking a piece of your soul and you're giving it to them. And then you go to the next bedroom and you give it away. Stop. That marriage you want, that relationship you want, it's going to be much harder to sustain a healthy marriage if you've had multiple partners before you get there. That's a fact. Do you know why people do it? Because they have an appetite for sex that demands to be fulfilled now. So the Bible says that's what Esau was. He was a fornicator like he refused to wait for the fulfillment of his promise and he had to have immediate fulfillment. Profane. Everybody say profane. This is a word we don't use a lot, but here's the idea is there are these words in scripture, holy and unholy, common and uncommon. It's kind of like, probably like you guys in my house, we have, we have dishes and we have special dishes. Anybody here have those? You have the dishes that you can use anytime. Anybody can get them out. And then you got the special dishes you only get out on really special occasions. And they've only been eaten on a couple times. Those are the, those are the uncommon. Those are, those are holy. Those are set apart. Those are special. When the Bible calls Esau profane, the Bible's saying he's just a common guy. He's doing what everybody, he did what everybody else in the world does. He's so busy chasing success, so busy trying to get his appetite fulfilled. He's living like everybody else. And he sold his birthright for a bowl of stew. Don't be like Esau. Don't gamble your future. Don't gamble your dream. Don't gamble your relationship. Don't forfeit your future. Don't sell your family. Don't bankrupt your hope for an appetite. And I know it's there because I fight them. You fight them. But if they control you, your hunger will hijack your hope. So the Bible talks about Esau, and he gives us one more example, Moses. Remember Moses? Moses is the guy in the Old Testament. He became like a picture of Jesus. He was the guy who, was, who, who came and rescued the nation of Israel out of Egypt. They were slaves 400 years. Well, do you know how Moses got to Egypt? The Bible tells us while Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, was busy enslaving 
hundreds of thousands, potentially millions of Jews. And he was slaughtering the first, but while he was slaughtering the sons of Israel, God worked it out because this is what God does. God worked it out and he made a way for Moses to be adopted into the house of Pharaoh. And Moses, a Jewish boy, was raised just like a prince of Egypt. Isn't that cool? Like what God can do? But there came a time where Moses realized that his calling, his purpose in life was not to be a prince of Egypt, but was to be a deliverer of Israel. While he had people feeding him grapes, he had all of his needs met. He could sleep with what he, who he wanted to. He could eat what he wanted. He could do anything he wanted. He realized that that was what his call was, was to go be a deliverer. And so he had to choose. Do I want to fulfill an appetite or do I want a future? Do I want to do something now or do I want to do something for the kingdom? And here's what the Bible says, pointing us to this positive example of appetites. He said he chose because it is a choice. Let me be abundantly clear. Appetites are a choice. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. You know why it's fleeting? Because appetites are never finally and fully fulfilled. You'll just get hungry again. Next verse. Y'all read this with me. We're almost done. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to his great reward. When it says it was looking ahead, it's, it's saying that's the only thing he fixed his eyes on. He refused to look at the donut in front of him. He refused to look at the pleasure. He just kept focusing. He kept focusing on his future. What appetites do is appetites get us off of our future and get us on our moment. I don't care how much weight I gain later. I'm going later. I'm gonna eat this. I don't care what this costs my marriage later. I'm gonna sleep with this person. I don't care what this addiction costs me later. I'm gonna fulfill it now. And the Bible says what made Moses successful in controlling his appetite is he was looking for the future. I just got to keep my eye on the future. And if my decision that I'm about to make will keep me from that future, I'm not going to make that decision. What decision do you need to make as a college student to get your degree? What decision do you need to make to get into the school of your choice? What decision do you need to make to start that business? What decision do you need to make to make your marriage healthy? What decision do you need to make to keep your family together? What decision do you need to make to see the dreams and the purposes that God has for you and God has for me, then choose those. and Keep your eye on those. But never let hunger hijack your hope. My daughter, my youngest daughter, Lauren, she, uh, she'll write things every now and then on social media. And as a proud daddy, I always like them. Maybe you won't be moved like this by the same way I was, but I thought it was was odd because I don't share with a um, very, very small circle. Anybody knows what I'm going to preach on? My preaching team, um, our strategy team, we'll talk about a little bit, but I don't talk to my wife about what I'm going to preach on. So even though I knew several months ago I was preaching this message today, my daughter this past week, she posted this, part of this, I wanted to pull out, and I'll close with this. She put, we all sin. Sin is fun and sin is easy. But sin is momentary. It lasts but a second, then leaves you high and dry. Sin promises to please us. Sin promises to satisfy. However, it will subtly and destructively injure us. Sin confront to be something so wonderful that it blinds us to God's truth. But in reality, sin so pales in comparison to what God has in store when we choose to do life his way. Never let hunger 
hijack your hope. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that God, all of us in this room, all of us in this room, all of us in this room have appetites. And God, every appetite we have, God is looking for some way to compromise our future. And so Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that God, you'll help us. God, some of us, we're already aware. If we're not aware, I pray God, you would show us, Father, where, God, where that appetite is compromising us. And Lord, I pray for all of us. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit will give us the power of self-control, will give us the fruit of self-control, will help us to not allow our appetites to control us, but for us to control our appetites. So Lord, I pray for every person here, every person watching online, every person listening to this message, that God, you will help us to control our appetites and to never let hunger hijack our hope. In Jesus' name, and everybody who agreed said amen. Come on, can we thank God today?